The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for Jesus. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Mom tells a story from uh, when we were members at Redeemer in Columbia back when I was very young, when Pastor Mel Amundsen was the pastor there. And apparently he was talking about uses for fire. And he said, what are some things that you can use fire for? And apparently some of the kids said, oh, well, you can cook with it and you can do that with it. And little Eric said, uh, you can look into the fire and see the souls of your ancestors. So we, we have a future pastor in this church, at least one. So... There, there was a cartoon somewhere that did that. So, <laughs> I, you know, first ser- well, this is a better reaction than first service. The first service we had someone cry, so I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. This, uh, this, today was a really interesting day at the 8.30 service. We, uh, we saw Chuck Willard receive a medal for freedom from the Korean War, and it was actually a really powerful service. And one of the things that made me think about is, uh, especially from this lesson in Galatians, which happens to be our LCY theme verse this year, which is for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It made me think about, you know, the, the way that we understand freedom a lot of time in this country is that I do what I want, right? Whether it's good for anyone else or whether it's not. Don't get in the way of my right to do things because I'm free and God help anybody who's in my way, right? And it also made me think about what freedom means as, uh, as we understand it probably more closely aligned with what our founding fathers meant, which is within the context of a certain responsibility that we have to society and the people around us. And there are very few, pl- few places in our society where we see that more clearly than in the military. I... Uh, you know, I remember when I was, I was never in the military myself, but w- in high school I was in ROTC and we always went to Paris Island. And when you only spend a week there, Paris Island is a really fun place for a teenager. Because w- we got to do the combat assault course, I got to rappel down the tower and got to slide down the rope across a moat and, you know, all these good things. And one of the things that I remember was uh, Senior Drill Instructor Sergeant Billups, which is a name that, even though he didn't yell directly at me, I'll remember that name for a long time because one of my classmates who wasn't as good at doing what that what he told them to do had the nerve to tell him no and and he learned a very important lesson that day when a drill instructor tells you to do something 
If he wants you to say yes, you say yes. If he wants you to say no, you say no. And you don't do the one that you're not supposed to do. And, and when he said no to the drill instructor, we all stood at attention for an hour while his lineage was very carefully detailed. It was a, it's something that sticks with me. And it made me think about, you know, in, in the military, one of the things that, that we see is that there are times when it is absolutely imperative that we don't exercise our freedom to do what we want, but we exercise it by following orders. You know, a lot of times in the military, lives are on the line, and not just your own life, but other people's lives. The success or failure of a mission is on the line. You know, the, the success or failure of a war or another operation could be on the line. It, it could be very important that you know how to listen, that you know how to follow orders, that you know how to do what you're supposed to do and what your role is. And the thing that made me think about that today, other than the fact that we had the adjutant general here, was Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem. When, when I think about that, what that means is when Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, it means that Jesus was singularly focused. Jesus was so focused on going to Jerusalem that nothing else could, could get his attention. Jesus was stubbornly committed to the idea of going to Jerusalem. And we know what he was going to Jerusalem to do. He was going to Jerusalem to face the chief priests, scribes, and elders, to stand trial, to be crucified, die and be buried, and three, day, three days later to rise again. And Jesus was determinedly walking toward that to the exclusion of everything else. And that's what made, what made me think about what it must be like to be in the military and have these orders because there are moments where it is important that you're focused beyond absolutely nothing else but the task at hand. I, I would really like for nuclear engineers to have that kind of focus too. You know, you don't necessarily always need that as a pastor, but there are certain people who certainly I would love to have that. And we, we have this idea of Jesus setting his face. And it's, it's one occasion where when, when the Samaritans didn't receive Jesus... It wasn't the gospel casting them in a bad light. It's because Jesus was so focused on Jerusalem that he didn't have time for anything else. He didn't have time to build a relationship with the people in the city where they were. And so they got frustrated with him, I think, and didn't receive him. The man who wanted to bury his father before he followed, it wasn't Jesus being callous. And, or it wasn't Jesus telling us that we should never take care of those people who have died as an act of love. It was Jesus saying that there is a time and a place for that. And the time right now is a time where we have to be about the task at hand. Right now, there is nothing else in my attention but Jerusalem. Nothing else but the death and resurrection. Nothing else but what God is calling me to do. No, you don't have time to go say goodbye to your family because right now we're about business. And there are moments in our lives where we just have to be that way. Where, where we cannot afford to focus on anything else. And... One of the things that I, I see in the, the letter of Paul in this Galatians text is not the opposite of this dogged determination where we're determined to follow our orders. Because freedom isn't just I do what I want. Let's, let's be frank. Some of the, the biggest blunders in my life come from me just deciding I'm going to do whatever I want regardless of whatever anyone else thinks. And the experience of being Eric is that uh, whatever authority there is, you kind of want to rebel against it. And uh, so there have been lots of times in my life where I have decided to do what I want, sometimes because my parents especially told me to do something different. 
Sometimes it worked out fine, a lot of times not so good. You know, like the story I told the kids about deciding that I should hit my brother even though I knew I shouldn't. That freedom did feel more like being sprung from jail after the punishment was over than anything else probably in my life. But the freedom that Paul is talking about isn't the freedom that we do to do what we want. It's actually a freedom from doing those things that we want. From the very first experience that we have with God in the book of Genesis, we see two things. One, that God tells us always to do good things and things that are good for us. We had one law, one direction, one destruction, instruction, don't eat the fruit. And Adam and Eve didn't take very long at all to be convinced that, well, maybe we should eat the fruit. Besides, I want to, right? And we've spent the rest of our lives in the whole Bible figuring out how to recover from that. We, uh, we're, we're freed from doing the things that we want. From those things that are the selfish desires. From those things that end up actually causing us more pain. From those things that, and I always like Paul because Paul gives lists and I like the lists. And, you know, I hear the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions. And the Lutherans are really good at that. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And as I was hearing these read off, I thought, you know, in America, these might be a few of our favorite things. And, you know, the reason that these things are bad aren't just because God doesn't want us to have fun, but because these things lead us into breaking relationships and stirring up bad things in the communities around us. Just to pick one out, you know, one of, one of them is anger and and. As I think about anger, I think about grudges. And I think about some of the verbs we use to talk about grudges. We nurse a grudge. We feed a grudge. We hold a grudge. You know, these are very intimate verbs, right? When we think about what it's like to nurse somebody we care about, a, a relative or a friend who's sick who can't take care of themselves any longer. You know, there's, there's nothing that says intimate, close relationship like being the one to change a, a loved one's diaper, Right? My dog right now has kidney failure, and uh, every night we give her 500 mils of fluid. And every, and every day, twice a day, it takes me longer to make her food than it does to make my own food because of all the different things we do to it to try to give her a little more quality of life. You know, we, I, I nurse that dog, and I, I am not, if you have to depend on me, you're really in trouble. Thank God for my wife. But, you know, I, I nurse that dog. And you think about this with grudges and those, those ways that we nurse a grudge and we hold a grudge and we, we feed a grudge and we, we kind of uh, we say we are what we eat. And when we, when we hold a grudge, we eat that anger and continue to feed ourselves with it. And what does that do to us? You know, we, we're, we're freed from those things that really are pretty easy to do because even though it's, it's such a difficult thing for us to hold a grudge... It's a lot easier to say, well, that person deserved it because they did this to me. They did this to my family. They, did, they said something about my mama or daddy or my grandma or whoever it was that made me angry, and they deserve my anger. And it's easy and good. And if you're me again, it, it sometimes feels really good to hold on to that self-righteous anger at somebody because it, it burns so hot, and sometimes it's good just to feel something, right? But... My freedom in Christ is a freedom from those things that I want. It's a, it's a freedom to do the thing that's not easy. 
because it, it's easy to hold that grudge against the people I'm angry with, but it's awfully hard to love my enemy. It's, it's hard to forgive that person who I have a good reason to be angry with. It's, it's hard to, to give in to that call of God to make peace when war feels so good. And we can be so good at it. You know, I know not in this church, but imagine a church down the road in Irmo somewhere where they argue about the color of the carpet. You know, you'd think that the entirety of heaven and earth hung on what color the carpet was in the congregation where I grew up. While we were redoing the sanctuary, we had two blessed saints of God who taught me Sunday school who were literally arguing about two colors of yellow for the wall that I could not tell the difference between. But God help us if we chose the wrong one. Right? It's, it's easy to give in to the quarreling and to the arguing and to the fussing and the fighting. We have been freed from that and freed for the opportunity of hearing the call to, of God to make peace. Freedom is not about doing what I want. Freedom is about setting my face, being doggedly determined, being single-focused on the things that God calls us to do for the world that God loves. In the same way that Jesus was so single-mindedly focused on Jerusalem because what was he going to do? He was going to go and die and suffer and rise for us to do the work that God told Jesus was important. That Jesus held as valuable, not just because he loves us, but because Jesus loves God. And what it means to be the son of God is to always do the will of the father. What it means to be people of God is to strive to always do the will of the father as well. To always do those things that we've been commanded to do. As Paul says, there is one law, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, sometimes our neighbors make that what pretty difficult. I've literally told the neighbor to my left, it's not my fault water runs downhill. I don't understand why you're so mad. You know, sometimes our neighbors don't always act very lovable. Those are the people that we're called to love the most. And not only that, you know, this morning as we were having a conversation, somebody said, you know, what is it about the Lutheran message that's so hard for it to connect with young people today? And I, I, I kind of sat there and sat with it for a little while. And what I realized was weird to me about that question is I don't think that there are many interpretations of Christianity that fit so well with what the world needs to hear right now. Because what the world tells us is that we're supposed to be afraid of people who are different than us. We're supposed to be afraid of those people over there who might be coming over here to do bad things or take our jobs or whatever it is they say they're going to do. We're supposed to be afraid of people who think differently than us. We're supposed to be afraid of people who, who might do things that are different than what we like to do. Because nothing installs, instills fear in us like people who are different. And that goes for me too. You know, the, the world tells us that the value of, of life is the individual. That what I want is really more valuable than what's good for society. And I don't care what political party you belong to. All our politicians have done a great job of exemplifying that, right? You know, the world tells us that there's just no way that we can afford to feed people. We have plenty of money for another bomb. The world tells us all sorts of things. But what is it that we hear is the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Lutheran Church, but that we worship a God who has a plan for this world? We worship a God who has grace for the people in this world. We, wor we worship a God who loves everybody, who loves all people, no matter what they look like, no matter what they think.
no matter how where they go to church. Regardless, God loves what God creates. And we as the people of God are called to love those people. We are called into something that is greater than my individual desire, greater than my individual vision, greater than my individual hopes. I am called into the love of the God who tells me that through the waters of baptism and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we all have a place that is being prepared for us. And that God has a plan for this world. And it's not that some glad morning when this life is over we'll fly away to be with God. But we see through the gospel that God is preparing this place to be the new heaven, to be the new earth. Because the gospel is not that we're going to God. The gospel is that God is coming to us. God is making this place the kingdom. God is making this place the holy land. God is making this place the place where the children are safe to run through the aisles, no matter when they want to do it. God is making this place the place where we can tell people that all means all, and God has a place for you too. And there is nothing that the world needs to hear more desperately than that. That fear is not the answer. That our hopelessness is not the answer. That our, that our problems are not the things that really has power, but the love and transformative power of God is at work in us already. And God is making this place new. This place our church. This place our neighborhood. This place our county or our state. This place our nation. This place our world. God is coming here. And when we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not just something that we speak as idle words that sound pretty. But that is the very hope of our faith that it hinges on. That God is remaking this place. So I think the Lutheran Church has an awful lot to say to this generation. Whether it's this generation of 80-year-olds or this generation of 8-year-olds. The difficult thing that we have in the Lutheran Church is we have trouble telling our story. Because uh, we tend a lot to be Germans, and Germans are stubborn, and Germans also don't want to impose on anybody too much. But our call as the people of God is to share this story. What does it look like to be the people who are called by God to set our face toward the world and declare that unending, undying, unyielding love that God has and to declare to the people who need to hear it so desperately, this love is for you too. And not just to say those words to the world, but believe them for us as well. I think Rob Bell once said in a book, Velvet Elvis, great name, great book. The, the hardest part of the Bible isn't believing that I'm a sinner. The hardest part of the Bible is believing that God has a place for me. And God loves me. And God trusts me to carry out the work of the kingdom. We carry these words and bear these words in our hearts so that we can share them with the world. And so that we can believe them for ourselves as well. Amen. I invite you all to be seated, and I invite the children to come up for the children's sermon.
Thank you for the joy we find when we do the things you want. Thank you for the joy we find when we do the things you want. You are always telling us to do good things. You are always telling us to do good things. Help us to always listen and do them. Help us to always listen and do them. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, then go very much. Go in peace and love and serve the Lord. Thank you. Yes,